I can use this product to make money for myself, then I'm onto something. The first thing is I knew it would work because I knew how painful the need was for me. It's not the idea, it's the taking action, and that's the key. Yeah, my company, Prospect Now, what we do is we help real estate folks close more deals. And so the way we do that is we collect information nationally on virtually every property in the country. And then we effectively predict which properties are most likely to sell or most likely to refinance. So our customers are typically real estate agents, both commercial and residential, as well as lenders, mortgage brokers, et cetera. How did you end up getting into that? Well, you know, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I was a commercial real estate broker for a number of years. And my job was obviously to find, to get listings, right? To find sellers. And it's kind of interesting, the evolution of it, because the first problem that I had when I was in that industry was I needed to figure out who the owners were. And you're in commercial real estate, Austin, so you probably you know, understand like each property is in its own LLC and then there's a holding company. And it was like, man, and I needed to get on the phones, right? And talk to as many building owners as I possibly could. And so I didn't have the contact info. I didn't have their phone number. I didn't know who the managing partner was. So that was the initial pain point. You know, I remember being in an office of 60 guys and looking around and everybody was researching the same data. And it took me nine months to get my, quote, database together. And, you know, that's nine months I could have been on the phones faster, et cetera. So that was the initial part that I thought to myself, you know, I think I could build something like this. So I did. So I built a database in Northern California. And sure enough, you know, actually sold it, right? Like people bought the product. And that was key, right? Is once I knew that people were willing to part with money for this, then I knew I was onto something. And then the business evolved substantially from there because I realized, you know, I don't want to just talk to any building owner. I want to talk to the guy that's actually a candidate to sell his property. Or in your case, since you're in financing, a candidate to get a loan, be it purchase money or refinance. So that is the evolution of the business to the whole predictive analytics side of it, maybe in the last like two and a half, three years, we started expanding from commercial to residential and then building these predictive models. And now actually today, as luck would have it, we launched a, a predictive digital marketing platform. So we can actually serve digital advertising to property owners that are predicted to say refinance or sell while they're browsing the internet from home. So it's like, it's amazing how it evolves and changes over time. But that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that first customer. And like, could you tell us how old you are, what, you know, what year it was and how you kind of expanded? Yeah, yeah. So that was 2008. Obviously, we're in 2017. The first customer was me, actually. It's kind of a, an interesting story. Is I had left the larger brokerage company that I was with, and I thought to myself, okay, you know, if I can use this product to make money for myself, right, then I'm onto something. Uh, and so what I did is I hired a really young guy just out of college, actually, and put him on the system and said, hey, okay, here's the deal. So we're going to split 50-50, right? The, the commissions, you're going to dig them up and I'll close them. 
And he, uh, he had never done any real estate before. So I just kind of prepped him with a call script and gave him the database that we built in, uh, in Northern California. And sure enough, he was on the phones for maybe not even two or three days. And he came up to me and he was like really excited. And he said, Hey, you know, I I found a live one here. This guy wants to sell. And, you know, I thought to myself, maybe, but not likely that he wants to necessarily that it's somebody cold called him. And he's like, yeah, I want to sell. But sure enough, we took the listing agreement down there and the guy actually signed the listing agreement on the first meeting and sold the, we basically sold this deal 90 days later and, you know, knew that this, I knew that this would work. So the irony of that story is that the guy that did the the calling is he actually thought then oh man this is commercial real estate this is easy right and it, it kind of ruined his career because at least for commercial real estate he's no longer in commercial real estate because he just thought it was too easy but it was kind of that you know that beginner's luck concept we needed that because that's what pushed me to go to the next level and then start marketing the system and actually you know turning it into a real business I guess when you were doing that, were you doing it all in an Excel sheet at first? And I mean, how were you sharing that information between you and him? Yeah, I think we actually might have had a very skeleton version of the application. So it was a MySQL database. And so I think he was using that at the time, but it was very, obviously very different from what it is today. But it was just the classic, we probably heard this term before, minimum viable product, woefully inadequate in so many ways, but just good enough to work. And so, yeah, that's what it was. How is someone like you have that skill set? I mean, because usually there's real estate brokers, technology, especially on the commercial side, they're way behind. Did you hire somebody to start helping you with that? Or did you figure that out yourself? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I remember seeing uh, Steve Jobs commencement speech at Stanford and yeah, I saw this online. I wasn't there, but you know, he said something to the effect of connecting the dots going backwards. Like you can never figure out in your career necessarily how everything will connect until you look backwards. Right. And to answer your question, I studied mechanical engineering and I realized like the last two years of school that I was really interested in computer science. And so I started pushing all of my classes towards programming and all that kind of stuff. And then as I, you know, after I graduated, I was at a uh, supply chain management software company that sold data and information. So I was like, I actually had exposure selling data and I had this some level of technology exposure. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of jack of all trades, master of none, right? You wouldn't want to put like, he wouldn't want me programming the launch codes for a Trident missile system. Let's put it that way. But, you know, I had enough basic understanding from that background that I was able to, actually what I did is I I got some engineers to kind of help me. And so, yeah, that's how we kind of kludged it together that way. Appreciate you uh, becoming a Patreon member. Yeah, no problem, man. So what inspired you to become one? There was some content specifically, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy over at uh, Meineke, I was just like, I had to listen to the end of it. So it was, it was a good hook. It is so funny that you said that because when I literally just got done editing, the guy said the exact same thing. Really? Yeah. I kept thinking that story was so good. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know if you thought the same thing, obviously. The guy is, you can just tell he's, he's a grinder, you know, and you want to root for a guy like that. And so when you're, I guess, getting your first customer outside of yourself, how did that go? I mean, did you put together a contract? I'm just trying to imagine how you were able to build that company even at that point. And did you kind of figure out that you were just going to start selling that data instead of trying to do commercial real estate too? Yeah. I mean, I knew the first thing is I knew it would work 
because I knew how painful the need was for me, right? And there was a lot of things I didn't know, actually. And I'm glad that I didn't. This is the irony of a lot of this stuff is that, for example, one thing I didn't know at the time was that commercial real estate, it's a big market from a dollar's perspective, but I wasn't selling, you know, I was selling to the people in the industry, right? And it's actually a very small market in terms of the number of people. Like there's probably maybe 120,000 commercial real estate brokers nationwide. So I actually thought it was much bigger. In fact, I remember when I went to raise money, I was in a pitch meeting and I used, I had this whole business plan built, Austin, around the numbers that LoopNet had on their website in terms of total registrants. And I think it was like a million. And so turns out like 90% of those are just looky-loos or they're not really, you know. Fake emails. Exactly. So my whole pitch was like predicated off this and it was totally wrong. Um, So it was kind of embarrassing. But the point is that I didn't know it was that small and that was a good thing because it enabled me to start. And starting is the key, right? Just taking action. And it wasn't a perfect market, but then I later expanded a residential, which is much bigger. And so it's kind of that, I like to use the analogy of, uh, you know, you got like 10 stoplights all in a row, right? And you can't wait until all 10 of them are green because that's never going to happen. So when you get the first green, you go. And then you'll worry about the next red that's, that's currently red. You'll figure out a way to go and get that to green. But that's later. So you don't have to worry about everything all at once. And in this case, just not, my naivete helped me out because I might not have, uh, you know, my goal has always been a big business, right? I might not have done it if I had realized, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's really niche. Um, the benefit of a niche is that not everybody else is doing it. So it, it's, you know, I didn't raise a lot of money and it was really helpful in getting a product up and running. Um, you know, especially during that time, because I was during the financial crisis, right? And so like, there wasn't a lot of, you know, interest in selling to real estate professionals, a technology product at that time, because that market was contracting so much. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Because it seems like if you're doing 2008, that was almost the exact wrong time to start selling to those brokers. I mean, how were you able to get through that? Yeah. So I actually think in hindsight, it was the exact right time because it looked like it was the exact wrong time. And when you're really small, you know, it doesn't matter if the market's contracting or expanding or whatever. It's just just irrelevant because you're so small that you're just going to, it's a land grab, right? You just got to go out and get customers. So it's kind of like training at altitude, right? As the real estate market improved, you know, I had a product up and running and, and going. So I got the, the benefit of the tailwind of the improving real estate market. But during that time, yeah, of course, just like anything, it was a challenge. You know, I went from cold calling building owners to cold calling commercial real estate brokers and guys like you, right? The finance guys also. And, you know, that's basically how I did it. It wasn't actually wasn't even that any like super sophisticated thing. It was just picking up the phone and starting to talk about it. Yeah. Because there's a couple of years, that's, that's actually right when I got in the industry as well, like the commercial real estate side. So didn't make a lot of money those couple of years, but I mean, the brokers got smaller and I was able to learn. So whenever things actually started picking up, you know, I didn't just come in in 2010 or 2011 when things were starting to slowly get better. I already learned and could kind of jump with it. So 
I could definitely see that with Prospect now. So could you talk about your expansion, I guess, year by year? When did you make that first hire? I guess other than the guy that you had been working with, was there, were there more people? Did you have virtual assistants? How'd that work out? Yeah. So let's see here. The first hire was, well, I did do one round of financing. So that really, it was, I was doing almost, I mean, I had some guys helping on the engineering side, but the first, like what I would say full-time hire was right after I raised money. And I didn't raise a lot of money, but I didn't need a lot, you know, because one thing I've noticed about raising money is if you make a mistake and you've raised a small amount of money or, or maybe none at all, that mistake doesn't have far-reaching consequences. You just learn, right? If you have a ton of money, and you raise it and you don't know what you're doing and everybody doesn't know what they're doing when they're first starting, then that, that small mistake turns into a big one, right? So money kind of magnifies all that stuff. So I'm kind of fortunate that I didn't raise a whole lot of money at that time because I was still learning a lot about how to do this. So yeah, the first hire was right after I raised that money and he was a sales guy. I'm still like, he's a great guy. I actually had dinner with him a couple months ago. And what's interesting too is his career. He was a really young guy at the time. And, you know, I think he was selling, like he was working at T-Mobile, right? Selling like mobile phones or whatever. And now he's like a superstar enterprise sales guy selling really like complicated software products and, and what have you. So I like to think that not only has the company been good for me and the owners, but also for people that have worked here. And I mean, with that, how did you make that first hire? Was he working at T-Mobile when you hired him the first time? Um, you know, I think I just posted an ad, honestly. That was a critical one. And again, it kind of goes back to not knowing what you don't know. But the thing is, we got to a point where the product, we knew the product worked. And once I had the outline of the product, it was just about, really just about scaling, right? And then, so we sold that data product for a number of years. Then the real expansion came when we moved to residential and started doing this predictive analytics. Like, you know, we have a patent pending on some of our algorithms and what have you. And, and it's, it's just evolved a lot. So it's been really fun. Yeah. When did you make that transition and when did you realize you needed to? Yeah, it's a good question. I could see every month revenue and the bottom line and the top line grew sequentially from the next month. What I could see is that eventually there was going to be a churn problem. And people that run SaaS businesses know that churn is everything, right? It's, it's really important. You know, if you got a leaky bucket, you got to replace what's coming out uh, plus more. And so I realized that eventually our churn was going to catch up to the top line. And that means that we just need to sell to more people. And so, you know, you take, for example, residential real estate, it's like 1.2 million real estate agents versus 120. It's about a 10x difference. And then you look on the finance side, right? I mean, it's huge. So I was fortunate to see that early on. And it's always, you know, it's like skating to where the puck is going to be. I still think that way. I'm always looking like we just launched our digital ad platform. And now we're squarely in a massive market. So, you know, you look at uh, actual dollars spent on digital advertising or digital marketing in the real estate industry. It's on the order of $32 billion between real estate agents and brokers and uh, mortgage brokers and lenders. So now it's like we just made that as a today, right? We just made that transition. So we've got a lot of room to grow. And so now it's just about going out and growing into that market. So I think it's kind of a continual process, really. Right. You're saying you're noticing things were going to slow down. About what time frame were we talking about when you switched over or added residential? I would say that was three or four years ago. 
So, I mean, we had really good growth and continued growth. In fact, we never had, we've only continued to grow, right? We never had that slowdown because we added those additional markets, right? But I think the other thing that helped us grow is that whatever we did, we always tried to do it uniformly. And in other words, any product or feature that we added, I always wanted to make sure that it was available nationally so that it could scale as opposed to saying, okay, I'm going to build this really, really, really good version, but it's just in San Francisco. That doesn't work, right? It's not, it's not big enough. So I think that actually had a pretty substantial effect as well. But I guess you're saying the algorithms that you're using, I mean, were you doing a lot of testing before you went into residential and like, what were you using to try to figure that out? Like, and who was was coming up with that? Right. That's a great question. So I actually went to a Giants game with my lawyer who had a friend who had another friend that was a PhD data scientist. And that's how I got connected with this guy. And I always had this idea that, you know, this is the next phase of marketing, right? Is it's like, it's one thing to have the data, but you really want to know who the right prospects are. And so this guy, he really like, I had the practical knowledge and he built it, right? So that was, you know, how that came into being. And and to your question about, you know, testing it. So we did, we back tested it for about a year before we started talking publicly about it. And if you go to our website, even now, you can go to prospectnow.com and there's a commission calculator page up in the menu there. And you can go and see which properties sold in a given county and what we scored those properties or rank them prior to it selling. So, you know, we don't always get it right, but we get it right a lot. And so, you know, if we rank something 90 out of 100, it has a higher, typically it has, a, it's twice as likely to sell in the next year. So we back tested that to make sure that it worked because we didn't want to go out and launch a product that we didn't have evidence worked. So I think that was a key part of it, but it's also a barrier to entry too, because the longer you run these kinds of models, the smarter they get. And then the more of a barrier to entry you have, right? So it's interesting. We kind of transitioned from a pure data company to more of an analytics company. And so that transition all with really one simple goal, it's never changed. And that is we want to help real estate people make money. That's it. That's our mission. So I'm glad you're able to catch up and see those old group calls and those are definitely helping. Yeah. And probably the most helpful one has been with a gal that did PR Megan Bennett. Yes, yes. Like I listened to that whole thing with all the people's questions and her ideas. And I like how, you know, you got her to tell more stories than just the regular interview. And could you talk about your pricing? I mean, were you ever thinking maybe I can get a part of the commission and maybe we should try to, or maybe just make our own real estate firm and just use that internally. What type of thoughts did you have? Those have always bounced around in my head. (laughs) I imagine. Yeah. And it's always been a question, but you know, I think it's about specialization and just knowing who you are and, you know, we want to help the real estate industry. We want to help brokers and agents. We don't really want to compete with them. And so to that extent, that's the thing that's kept me from doing that. Now, having said that, there's a guy on our YouTube channel, his name's Ken Hoff. I interviewed him. He used our product and he closed like a $300 million apartment portfolio deal using the product. And I'm sure he did very well on that deal. And, you know, I think he might've bought our premium package at the time, which was a few thousand dollars. And I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say I had some pause about, well, okay, interesting. So, you know, we help enable a $300 million sale. There's 
got to be a way to, for us to better monetize that. But you know what? You know, I think the bigger thing is you want your customer to have a crazy ROI, you know? And if you do, they will be a customer for a long time. So that's been my mindset around it. Although I know there's a lot of different companies out there that are taking different approaches, but we've decided to kind of maintain that focus on being the technology provider. Have you ever been worried about like selling to too many brokers where it's diluting it and people are all calling the same prospect and then they get mad at you because other brokers called them? You know, that's never been a problem. I mean, there's, like I said, there's 120 million properties in this database. And I remember early on, I remember people would ask me questions like, who else is using this? And at first I thought they want a reference. And I'd be like, Bob, Joe, Fred, here, here, you can talk to this guy or whatever. And then I realized, no, they're asking because they want to be the only one. So then I realized that the way I positioned that was that you can get access to this now. And if your peers don't have it, then you are at a strategic advantage. Or you could wait and get access later when everybody else has it. And then you're at a strategic disadvantage if you don't have it, right? It's six and one half dozen in the other. You're either get ahead of the game and you're going to benefit from the tools and the technology or you're going to be behind. So I've never really seen that to be a problem. There's just so much opportunity out there, you know, and I find that that mindset, it's kind of a limited way of thinking like, oh man, this other guy's, he's, it's almost like a driven by fear as opposed to being driven by, you know, success. And so anyway, that's been my experience on that. I just find that a lot of commercial brokers, at least that I've talked to, I know, like I said, because that's the main industry that I came up in. A lot of them seem they're like they're kind of more driven by fear. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's different with residential or not, because they're always wondering, like, what's this guy doing versus this guy? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it is. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not common. It's very common. But, you know, it's like one of my favorite things is like somebody like, hey, I've got this idea for a business. Don't tell anybody. And it's like, I could have rented a Cessna 172 with like, a, did skywriting over San Francisco, what my business plan was, and it wouldn't have made a difference. You know, it's not the idea, it's the taking action. And I just think that that's the key, right, is, is to take action and make it happen. Yeah, I think that alludes to your first story where you're talking about the green lights, you know, as you just exactly. get to the first one, just do something right. instead just of just waiting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So like what's your size today? And I mean, could you give us an idea of how many customers are and or revenue? Yeah, well, I can give you a feel for customers. We got about 3000 customers and they range from, you know, I mean, we have some really uh, big banks that use this service down to the individual commercial or residential real estate broker. So yeah, it's pretty diverse. One thing I will say is in the very beginning, I realized that the real estate industry is very decentralized. It looks like there's a few companies that have, you know, most of the agents or whatever, but it's really more like a million different businesses, right? Because every real estate professionals like a business unto themselves, right? And so in the beginning, I used to kind of, it was difficult, right? I used to curse the, oh my God, I got to sell each one of these guys one at a time. And then I realized that having a, a lot of customers creates really good, stable, healthy cash flow. And then the big customers, they just add to the top line, right? And bottom line for every time we add one. So it's actually a really healthy thing, but it took me a while to start to appreciate that because we really had to get good at selling 
volume, right? Like, you know, in a given day, we can add 20, we can sell 20 subscriptions in a day, you know what I mean? And sometimes even more. So that's one thing that I kind of learned over time is having that good customer, healthy customer base is really enables you to do a lot of things. And so when were you, did you transition? It sounded like you were mostly in the sales role at first. And what's your role today? And how have you learned from that? I'm really fortunate in many ways. I get to work on the things I want to work on, right? And I love the product. I love selling, right? Those are the two things that I like the most is product and selling those two things. And so that's what I try to spend most of my time with. You know, I love working with the engineers. And like I said, I'm not sitting there writing code, but I love to get feedback from the sales guys also and think about how I can help them be more successful, giving them more tools, right? Giving them more just ability to sell more, better product, et cetera. So those are the things that I spend most of my time. And I guess through the growth of the company, do you have any hardship stories? I mean, it sounds like everything went pretty well as far as this revenue has been growing ever since you started, but I imagine there had to be some hiccups along the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, I I guess if you like doing it, it, none of it feels like a hardship. So I don't know that I necessarily characterize it that way. But I remember shortly after we raised money, we ran out of money. And I had a, an investor in the, or have an investor in the company that he's a solid guy and I think he kind of anticipated that while we were growing and everything, we were going to burn through the capital, you know, maybe quicker than I expected to. But anyway, he covered it with a line of credit, which was great. But there was a little bit of time there where I was, what was what, what the great thing about that story actually is that he, he covered it with a line of credit, which I really appreciated. And then it motivated me to pay that line of credit off as soon as I possibly could. Cause I think it had like a five-year window on it, but you know, I paid it off in six months because we ended up closing a big deal. And then we haven't had to go back to the trough since, which has been great. But yeah, I mean, just like anything, I think I look back now and I go, wow, you know, it's kind of like running across 101 in the middle of traffic while you're doing it. Maybe it's not that big a deal, but then you look back and you go, geez, I, uh, there was a, <laughs> there was a lot of potential threats there. And you you know, it just, it is what it is. I mean, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a really successful entrepreneur and we were talking about managing those challenges early on and like just emotionally how, you know, I was kind of curious how he did it and I was sharing how I did it. And then what I found is we both kind of did the same thing and that is, it sounds funny, but basically just ignore it right? Like, let's say, you know, there's a problem or a potential threat and you've done all the A, B, C, D, E, F, G about, you know, what to do to prevent it. Then after that, it's just like, it doesn't exist, you know? Otherwise it just creates additional cycles in your mind. That's not, you know, valuable. So ignoring the stress of some of these things is actually, I find it's almost like blinders, right? Yeah. You know, it's there, but what's the point of getting all riled up about it? And I found that worked pretty well for me through those kinds of times. I mean, during those times, you're saying, did you tell us exactly how many employees you have today so we can get an idea? Yeah, we got about 20. Okay. I mean, during that time, when during your hires, have you had any hiring mistakes? And could you walk us through how to minimize those? Because I feel like going from you know a solopreneur or a guy starting out the company, once you start hiring, it's different mindset and you start learning things that that way. So uh, could you go through your hiring process? Yeah, that's a good question. So here's what I do. For me, it's a lot about just how I interact with the person. It's a gut thing for me. Like, 
I'm actually not a great interviewer because I'm so wired to be a salesperson that I'm always trying to, it's subconscious, you know, but I'm always you know, trying to like see how I can make the other person feel comfortable or get them to talk or whatever. And, you know, I find myself selling a lot in the interview. And the benefit of that is that people want to work at Prospect Now. The negative of it is that sometimes I don't get to the question that says, give me the an example of when you went through of how you overcame this objective or da 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 or or you know, what was your quota attainment at your last company, you know, the classic interview questions. So what I found is that I know that about myself. So we have a great VP of sales here and he's a good interviewer on that side. So I guess my point is knowing what you're good at and then filling the plugging the holes with other people that have skills that you necessarily don't have, I think is really important. And so that's the first thing. And then the other thing that we do, and granted, we're a small team, so I think we can do this. I don't know how it would work in really big companies, but for example, if it's a sales hire, like anybody can veto it. Right. So in other words, I don't want anybody that's on the team currently to not want to be around the person that we're bringing in. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got to work well together. So that's another thing that we do. And you know what I found is everybody typically agrees. And that's because we've done that for so long that there's a very good, I think there's very good team cohesion. I mean, there's always room for improvement, but I think that's really important in hiring. Well, how about um, as far as competition? I mean, the main guys that you've had to go through against, I guess, were LoopNet slash CoStar and or been to others. And can you tell us like how you're able to stay differentiated from them? Yeah. And it's interesting too, because as competitors have changed, right? So we have commercial real estate brokers that use our product maybe in a similar way to, you know, some of those products. And maybe they would say that that were competitors even today. But when you really look at like what we're doing and what we're marketing, I think it's very unique. And there's different kind of point solutions out there that do different things. But obviously, there's products out there that do a lot of different things. Our focus is really helping the real estate agent get the listing and helping a lender close a loan. And that's it. So to the extent that we differentiate, it goes back to my earlier comment. It's like I'm always looking ahead to see where that next thing is. Because I'm assuming, I always operate in the assumption that whatever the product I had five years ago or whatever is eventually going to get commoditized. And so, you know, you got to continue to innovate and what have you. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is we focus heavily on uh, the engineering side and, uh, and we have the data that shows that our analytics work. So I think that puts us in a really good position. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Because I mean, those other bigger platforms, I mean, a lot of them, do just have the data. They don't have that forward-looking, I guess, algorithm that you're talking about. So I definitely can see the difference there. Um, because yeah. it, and a lot of their data, it's fine that at least when I subscribed to it back in the day, I mean, half of it seemed like it was crap, like the LLC was wrong or whatever. And then they put their phone number on it, on there and right. it's wrong. So they could definitely see that, yeah, your angle into it. I think it was pretty smart because really at the end of the day, you just, the people want to get the deals closed. They don't necessarily need the data. You know, they don't want just, I don't want to just look at data for no reason unless it's going to help me. That's right. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, I realized too, is that, you know, my customer cares about a commission check. They don't care about prospect now. They don't care about you know, the prospect now is a means to an end. And so to the extent that we work to solve that problem for them, 
then we're valuable. And so I think that every company has to have that true north, if you will. And we've been very fortunate in always knowing that. And even as it's changed, you know, and as I mentioned before, it's evolved so much, but the whole point is the same. That's what's interesting to me is that the original concept and vision is absolutely the same. It's just that the way of doing it now has changed. Yeah, well, I appreciate you being a Patreon. Uh, no worries, man. I, I came across your podcast a few weeks ago and I definitely uh, enjoy them. So uh, I wanted to at least show my commitment and at the amount that you, uh, it costs, I, I wanted to go for the highest tier. So Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So were you just Googling? Like a- Looking for another podcast and yours popped up and I was like, well, let me check this out. And then, you know, I listened to one and I love how in depth and detail. The first one I listened to was the uh, mining key guy. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one to start off with. Yeah. yeah. And- and I'm in the franchising, okay, right? Perfect. So, well, I'm in a franchise. I definitely, uh, it definitely was a good one to start off. And um, I like the questions that you ask, you know, you hold them to numbers. And so I think I've listened to maybe 60 in the last three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, you've been binging. As far as like episodes, what's been one of your favorite? The Meineke guy. The Meineke, yeah. You really did start <laughs> yeah. off with, I thought so too. Yeah. I've been telling everyone how great that one was. And, and and he's one of the main reasons I joined the Patreon too. I was like, man, I got to hear the end of his story. It took, <laughs> it took me a couple weeks, but uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I got to hear the end of his story. So if you want to hear that episode with Charles Bonfiglio, go check out episode 165. Another reason I brought up the bigger players, just like as far as data, I mean, has there been a point where you've been approached to want to sell or thought about selling? I mean, I don't know what usually those bigger companies try to gather up ones like you. Well, the answer is yes, of course, that there's been if you're building a good business, you're going to get those phone calls, right? But, you know, here's one thing I will say is a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to, you know, go sit on a beach. If you're building a business in the right way, selling it will be hard. So what I mean is the decision to sell would be really tough. And so I've always built this business and I, you know, like I, I feel like we're still just starting to be honest, like we got so much room to run and so much to do. But if you have a healthy, profitable business, then you look at, you know, if you sell it, then, you know, you're kind of killing the golden goose. You know what I mean? And then, you know, that's a hard, that should be a hard decision. If it's an easy decision, if somebody said, Hey, you know, Oh yeah, they, they made you an offer and you just was like a no brainer. In my view, that means that your business actually isn't that good. Right. Unless the offer is just so crazy that it just makes no sense. Right. But I'm talking about like, you know, when, when you look at paying uncle Sam, like you've got a good business that's creating cash flow, and you look at paying uncle Sam and, and then you got to go park that money in some other place and get a, a yield on it. It's got to be a big number. So anyway, so, so that's my philosophy on that. And I just think uh, if you just put your head down and work hard and do build, build a good business, build a business that can stay, then everything else just kind of works itself out. You know, that's, that's all secondary stuff. The, the, the hard part is building the good business. Oh, yeah. With that said, and kind of as we're closing down here, you're giving us some good advice, but is there any like last lessons or words of wisdom that you want to leave with the people listening today? 
Um, I think actually it would just be reiterating some of the stuff I talked about earlier. I mean, I really like believe in just taking that first step. You don't have to know all the details about everything, you know, and sometimes it doesn't even feel like you could look back and say, oh yeah, that was risky. But you know what? I mean, it doesn't have to be that risky. You know, you, you don't have to take a risk where if the failure happens, you, you know, you don't live to fight another day. I like risk adjusted stuff where it's like minimal. There's a little bit of downside, but if you get it right, the upside's huge. And so I would also encourage people if they are building a business to try and do as much as you can in terms of building the product, getting customers, got to get customers. You can't just build in perpetuity and just, oh, if only, like that's one of the things I found a lot of entrepreneurs get trapped by is if only, if only I had more money, if we only had this one feature, if you know, all of this repeatedly and you know, sometimes it's just a bad idea, you know, and, and you need to move on to something else. But other times, you know, if you can sell it, if you can get somebody to part with money, that's a big deal. If you can do it once, maybe you just got lucky. If you can do it twice, maybe you're onto something. If you can do it three or four times, you're starting to develop something repeatable, then get after it, you know, just get after it at that point. But yeah, I guess those would be the things I would recommend. Yeah. Well, no, we appreciate the advice. And um, if someone wanted to reach out and just say thank you, is, is there a best way to reach you? Uh, yeah, sure. My email is swain at prospectnow.com. Well, like I said, Steve, well, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your, your stories and giving us great words of wisdom. Thanks a lot, Austin. Appreciate it. YOLO and hola. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it and want to show us a little support, then we would love for you to leave us a five-star review. It helps other potential listeners enjoy this fabulous show just like you. And it'll take less than 69 seconds to do it. I promise. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next episode.